Hey, 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 how we doing, high school? That's it? Come on. How we doing? You guys good? Man, high school, you guys are some of my favorite people, man. I love high school students, and it's awesome to see you guys here. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. I work in the next-gen area with everything from children and students and, and all that stuff, and, and I'm glad to be here. As you know, Derek has been away for the last week. He's teaching at a, at a camp and just kind of sharing the gospel with those people and stuff, and we miss him. He'll be back in, uh, in the next few days. He'll be back next week, and he's excited about coming back and seeing you guys and being part of it. But we're glad that you're here. If this is one of your first times at 12 Stone and you're just kind of checking us out, we're really glad you're here. We're not going to try to embarrass you or do anything like that, but we want you to know that we're glad that you're here. But let me tell you about this church. Realistically, there's two main purposes of this church. The first one is to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. We're here, we're unashamed about the gospel and that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We love God, we love Jesus, we love worship and all of that stuff, but we're also designed to do life together and the purpose of this church is community and to build friends and to love on one another and all of that stuff. And so what I want to do is, I did this a few weeks ago, I'm going to put a, um, a few questions on the screen and what I want you to do is kind of get up, you're going to have about four or five minutes to do this, it's for you to get up, man, walk across the, 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 the room, find somebody, here's the purpose, it's trying to give you some questions so it's not weird. I mean, I know it can be weird when somebody just comes up to you and is like, hi, and then hi, and then you're thinking, does he think I'm cute? Why doesn't he think he's cute? Does he really think I'm cute? You know, all of those things. Listen, if you're a creeper, just sit in your chair and don't talk to anybody, okay? That'll make us all help. That'll make us all help you. Can we get those questions on the screen, please? Um, here are the four questions, all right? I want you to get to know some people. Introduce yourself by sharing your name, what school, what grade you go to, all stuff. Here's a few questions. What's your favorite vacation spot? I just got back from the beach, spent a whole week on the beach, tan my cheeks. It was awesome. And, um, and then third, what can you do that, what's something that you do that drives your parents crazy? Does anybody, anybody in here know how to drive their parents crazy? Yes. One of my, my mom hates, my mom's like this really reserved, she's awesome. I love, my mom has done more for me than any woman on the planet. But she hates when like I dance like really white boy, funky, crazy. Give me a dollar, man. Pop ain't cheap. Just kidding. It's, but like, if I just break it down and stuff like that, what's up? And my mom gets so embarrassed, especially if you like do it in public or the mall or at a funeral, whatever. You know, like she gets really embarrassed by that. But what's your thing? And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be rejected. And I want you to just kind of ask that question, like, how does it feel to be rejected? Because all of us at some point or the other are going to face rejection. There's going to be something that we really wanted to do. Maybe you wanted to play on the basketball team. Maybe you wanted to be a ballerina girl, hopefully. Maybe uh, there was some, some guy or girl that you were crushing on and they don't really even know you exist. Or, 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 or maybe there was something that you hold, held a value and you wanted it and then you were rejected by it. And explain a little bit. So listen... We're going to give you four minutes. Get up. Listen, get out of your little click, okay? Because let's be honest, there's clicks at church, isn't there? Right? We don't want clicks, okay? You know what I'm saying? I want the, the, the girl that still loves Justin Bieber talking to the Star Trek fan, okay? So get up.
Meet some folks. All right, the whole goal of that is for you to kind of get out of your comfort zone, meet some new people, say what's up, how's it going, all that stuff. But listen, while you're sitting down, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible. If you have your Bible, if you don't, come on, come on, Shh. don't make me get the Ritalin and leashes, Adderall, whatever, both. Hey, Go ahead and pull out your Bibles. If, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. If you've never had a Bible and you don't have one at home, come see us. We'll make sure that you have a Bible. If you steal Bibles, I'll beat you. Okay, so Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew is the first gospel in the New Testament. Um, Matthew 21, beginning in verse 33. If you have one of these nifty Bibles, it's on page 989. And we're just going to go. And I promise, listen, if you give me your attention, I will make sure that this is much like my prom date, very short and sweet, okay? So let's roll through this. You pay attention, and I'll go quick, because if, if we both get ADD, it's no fun, all right? It's like puppies chasing little stars, okay? So here we go. This is verse 33, and it says, listen to another parable. This is Jesus speaking. Let me give you a little context. It's Last week, we Derek talked a little bit about parables. Parables are stories. They're ways of telling something other than just saying it. So you can maybe kind of understand that story with a different point. One common way that we tell parables today is through rap music. I'll do this. Let me tell you this. If, how many of y'all like rap music? And how many of you like, how many of you like you can't spell crap without rap? It's a few of you, okay? I will give you, I will, listen. I will buy you, unless you're here last night and you play guitar and you're about to cheat. Listen, I will give you, I will go buy your Starbucks, I will buy you a Starbucks of whatever you want. If somebody, if you can tell me what rap means. R.E.P. Roll. No, what is it? Watch out. Let me give it up. What is it? Were you here last night? All right. Yeah, that's it. It's rhythm and poetry. It's about telling stories. Originally, when rap music started, it was about rhythmic forms of poetry. And we all know what poetry is. I mean, some of us have taken poetry in class, and it's like, it's beautiful and all this stuff. And I, I remember, you know, reading poetry like my grandfather, you know, was in World War I, and he would write all these poetic letters to my grandmother. And I remember stumbling on part of it, it was like, you know, my dearest Cecilia, each day that passes, each breath, each moment takes away my breath. I see the sun rise and I think of your face and how it glows and how I long for your touch and long to kiss you. It's beautiful. Nowadays, we write poetry and it's like, hey, you look good in jeans. You know, like, like there's like the difference of it's hot, you know, and I'm, you're hot, baby. You know, like that's about it. But the whole thing of poetry and it tells stories. I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was like one of my, the first time I was ever introduced to rap and story was like a, 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 one of my favorite shows of all time. Probably a little bit, you guys are probably a little young too, but like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. 
you know, West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Come on, louder. No, they started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got Yeah, 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 yeah. But great job, man. See, but listen. Okay, that is the simplest form of like, I want you to get that. Because in a way, that's parable. You know the whole story, right? I mean, that's the whole like kind of Fresh Prince kind of kind of deal of like he, he was in not in a safe neighborhood. He got in a fight and then he went to his rich, you know, rich uh, aunt and uncle and all that stuff. It tells a whole story in just a few lines. And that's really what a parable was. And so now Jesus isn't about to go break it down rap freestyle, but he is sitting there and he's talking. I want to I give you the context of who he's talking to. He's talking to the like religious people of the day. They know the scriptures. They've studied the scriptures. They've been in church for as long as they can remember. And Jesus is talking to them. And this is the third parable that he is in a way insulting them. I mean, he's not trying to be cute and funny. He's basically saying that you are the, re- you are the worst part of Christianity. That what you think about being holy and you think about being right, everything that you see is backwards. And Jesus is, in a way, going to tell this story, this third parable, and in a very creative and really functional way to all the people, he's telling the religious people today, you got it wrong. What you're doing isn't right. And so this is what he's telling. He's going, he says, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. Okay, just background. Almost everybody's planting farms back then. It's an agrarian society. They're based on farming, food production. There isn't somebody like at this time, like, hey, I'm going to go work for Apple or Google. Okay, there was no like old school Jewish Facebook back then. Okay, it's you basically planted stuff or maybe sold some stuff or maybe built some stuff, some arts and crafts. But for the most part, almost everybody worked on a farm. That's a vineyard, okay? What did, anybody know what they grow at vine, make at vineyards? What's grapes? Absolutely. I've been to Northern California, Napa Valley, all this stuff. They make grapes, make wine, all of that stuff, okay? Got it. Here we roll. It says he put a, a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Here's the whole thing is here's the master. Now, let me tell you. I'll give you a glimpse. The master is supposed to be God. Okay, and all these stories, when they say there was a master, it's like God is the master. God's the big cheese. He's the owner. He's got everything. Here's my first point to you is this, is that God owns everything. And I want you to get this because in this first part, he's creating this area and he says the master owns it all. And he's creating three things to make it functional. First of all, he's putting a wall around it to protect it. See, God protects things that he loves. I mean, you and I sit there and think, well, how does God protect in me? Well, I don't know. But I know this. I know for 99% of us that were born in America in this room, we were born into one of the wealthiest countries in the world. I mean, very few of us today had to wake up and wonder where they're going to go get food or how you're going to have to walk six miles to get water or is some kind of rocket-propelled grenade going to land in next to your neighbor's house. My grandmother, she was from Ireland. And she would always talk like this, but she would tell stories about how when she was in Northern Ireland, she'd be worried about the Irish Republic coming to get her. And you would hear these stories, and that was her life. And even when she came over here and came to America and was part of this, she would be very nervous, and like alarm clocks and stuff would freak her out. And there's nothing weirder than seeing an 80-year-old woman think of rockets going off, running around her house. It's kind of funny. She's dead. God rest her soul. But don't make fun of my grandma. But 
you understand what I'm saying? We don't worry about those things. And so here he's got the wall around it. He built the wine press, so he made it functional. And then also he had this watchtower in order to do two things. Watchtowers were used for storage, so there was still some function about it, but it was also to make sure that you could see enemies from miles away. And this is what I want you to get, is that really God does own everything. And one of the, the things that can happen to all of us, it happens to me on a daily basis, is I can start thinking that I really own something and God doesn't. I mean, I can sit there and think of, here's the creator, sustainer of the world, and there are things that he has given us, and I keep thinking they're mine. Let me give you an example. You know, like I have three kids. They're um, eight, six, and three. And you know what? Here's the whole thing is they get so excited about some toys, and they'll fight. Like if somebody else touches it, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. All of us have had a Christmas where we want this awesome toy, and it's everything we're thinking about, and we got it. What happens six months later? Do you even care about it most of the time? Everything that you feel that's important, that's a thing, that's some kind of tangible object, at some point is going to be either completely destroyed or in some junkyard. If you go to any kind of junkyard right now, it's full of stuff that used to be awesome. And people thought, oh, I own this. This is going to be mine. Let me tell you this. You guys are high schoolers, so I couldn't say this with middle school, but you know, when you start dating and all this stuff, some of the most toxic relationships is where one person thinks they own the other person, Right? Some of you have friends that you see like, okay, say, say I, I was a girl, I'd be a pretty ugly girl, but like if, and I, and I see one of my girlfriends and she starts dating this bad guy and he thinks he owns her and treats her like property. Listen, I don't care who you are and I say this love of Jesus, if you treat women like property, you got a problem, okay? Side note, all right? But listen, ladies, listen, date a real man, okay? Hold out for the real man who loves God more than he loves you. Don't date some loser and think your hips can change him, all right? Side note, let's move on. The hips don't lie, baby. That's Shakira. All right. Come on, we got to stay focused. I, I'm out. I'm out of my drugs, okay? So we all have these things thinking. We've seen these relationships where somebody thinks they own the other person. And listen, there's nothing worse than being in a relationship where you think you're, that, that you're being owned. Because then what that person says is, what I want is more important than what you want. See, and the truth is, is God owns everything. Everything that's around you, God owns it. It's his. And it's just on loan for us for one reason, to bring glory to him. The gifts, the talents, the abilities, the experiences, the things that you have are used ultimately for his glory. No matter what it was. No matter what it is, at that point, God, and you know what, you know what? That seems like, well, I don't want God. I want to hold on to what's mine. And it seems like, well, what God would not give me something? Yes, the Bible talks about like what kind of loving father if his child owns, asks for bread, would give him a scorpion. But what I'm saying is this, is that there's freedom in knowing that this world does not end with you or does not end with me. Listen, I've been doing ministry for 20 years and I've gotten the phone calls at two o'clock in the morning and say, my brother was just hit by a car accident. They think he's gonna die. Can you come to the hospital? I've been there to saying, I'm, I walked in with a, with a five-year-old whose mom put a gun in her mouth and pulled the trigger right in front of her baby. I've sit, bit, sat across the, sto the, the sofa with families that said, my dad had just confessed having a five-year affair on my mom. I've been there when they've come home and said, somebody's had a house that was caught on fire. I've seen it. I've been there. And you know what? Some of you have been there too. And Ecclesiastes says that everything is, 
is void. Everything is nothing. That at some point, yes, your life may be great. Some of you have never lost a loved one. Some of you have, everything's been great. But let me tell you, you live long enough, you're going to see that you don't have as much control as you think you do. And that there are going to be some times where you say, God, what is going on? I don't own this. I get it. I've been there. So I want you to really get this at this point that is the master lending this for a certain period of time. Okay? And as he goes on, puts the wall, and he goes, then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. There's another version of this in Mark, two guys telling the same story. Mark's a little bit more detailed on it, but I just want to let you know because the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. Verse 34, and he says, when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Okay? Here's the owner. I own this stuff. It's a business transaction. You're going to rent my stuff. You're going to make money. You're going to try to sell this wine and all this stuff, and I'm going to come and get my stuff. So here I am, the master, and another, hey, guys, I need three guys to go get me some, go get my stuff. All right, I'll do it. Tom, Steve, whatever, goes, Shaquille goes and gets it, okay? Shaquille O'Neal is my favorite, baby. Don't laugh. Is he goes and gets it. See what happens. Well, the tenants there deceived his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Now, let me tell you, when they, they beat him, so they let, maybe, it doesn't say if he lived, they, they probably did kill him, killed another, and stoned a third. Now, stoning is probably one of the most brutal ways to die. They would basically bury you up to your head, so all you had your hair, they would tie your legs, like, you tie your hand, your wrist behind there, dig a deep ground, all you would be your head, and people would come along with rocks and just, wham, walk by. And a lot of times they would only let certain people stone but they would let that guy sit there, that girl sit there, and the weight of the earth on their chest could barely breathe. They couldn't do anything. This last week at the beach, I had my kids and dug a, a deep hole like that up to my, and I, it was so hard to get out of there. I'm thinking, this is only like six inches of sand. I can feel it compressing, compressing on my, it was difficult to get out of there, but I, my hands weren't tied even, and there was definitely nobody throwing rocks at me. But stoning was brutal, and it was public. And it was a whole sense of saying, we're going to kill, we're going to show you who's boss. We own this. This is us. God, master, you don't own this. The truth of the matter is, let me, look at me real quick. How many of you guys in one way or another, I have, have looked at God and said, master, God, you don't own this. This is my boyfriend. It's my dating life. This is my computer. I can look on it what I want. And listen, you may deceive your parents and trick your parents. That's not hard. Because let's be honest, most of your parents are ignorant of the stuff that you do. You can hide. I get, most of your parents don't want to know what you do. It's easy. But man, I, I've had those moments where I've said, God, this is mine. What I watch, what I see, what I do, the conversations I have, those are mine. He goes on, 36, he says, Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. So I want you to get this in, this in this parable, is all of us in this room are going to fall into one of these categories. There's somebody in this, a person in each one of these parables, parables that you can relate to. Some people, you're going to be like, oh, that's me. I get it. I mean, because here's the second group of tenants, uh, of, of servants, okay? First of all, the master sends the first one. They're thinking, yeah, I'll go pick up the money. No problem. Imagine being the second group. Master comes in and says, hey, I need a few guys to go get my money. Hey, what happened to the first guys? They didn't come back. Yeah, they were, they were beaten and killed and stoned. Who wants to volunteer? Would you step forward? I wouldn't. But you know, here's the whole thing is, 
the com- some of those guys, their commitment to their master was more important than commitment to their lives. And you know what? I want to encourage you because there are some of you in this room, look at me, that your life is secondary to your commitment to Christ. And I honor that. It's not easy. I'm not saying you're perfect. But some of you are sitting there and you'll say, hey, when I go on my campus at school, whether it's now going to be a college campus or back to my high school, I see it as a mission field, not just a place to get more Facebook friends. I see my school as a place surrounded by broken people who need a great God. Is that you? I hope it is. I pray that it is. I pray that it is. And if it's not, let us help you. We'll help you get there. We want to get there. We want to help you get there. But these second guys step up and they go, and guess what? They get killed. And finally, this is what it is. And this is what I love about Jesus. He says, 37, he says, last of all, he sent his son to them. And he says, they will respect my son. Here, here's the whole thing. This is so reflective of the gospel because the first part of the, the Bible is the Old Testament and it's based on doing things right, law, obedience, obeying the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, all of that stuff. And that's what the master, the first time, he says, listen, I'm assuming these guys are doing right. I will reward them. I will get my fruits. Everything's going to be great. They do something wrong and kill my first servants. Yes, I'm going to send some new people, but guess what? I'm going to give them a second chance. And finally, Jesus says this, if that's not enough, then I'm going to send somebody that I care about more than anything else because they will respect me. They didn't respect me as my position as master, but maybe they'll, they'll respect my son as a relational offering. Maybe they'll respect my son. It'll be something deeply personal. And this is the second point that I want you to get is that God is willing to risk everything, everything. So we just kind of sometimes think, oh, it's just Jesus. It's just God. Like the, the, the problem that sometimes we think is just like, okay, Jesus is like Superman and just kind of steps out of heaven and like Thor, you know, like 72 ripped abs and he just steps out and says, I will save you. Oh, that sounds like Schwarzenegger, but you know what I'm saying? Like all of that stuff that I'm going to save you, that it's not deeply personal. Let me tell you, the relationship between father and son is extremely personal. We can look on society, we can look on that relationship, jacked up relationships between child and son are a cause of many problems. I know, listen, there's a lot of us in here that have daddy issues. I understand it. But God is willing to risk everything to redeem his people. And in this story, he's saying, listen, I will send what's dearest to me, what's most important to me, in order to bring you back. I will risk it all. I mean, if you don't think your sin's a big deal, look at the cross. Yes, we see it as this object of redemption, but it's also an object of torture. Listen, your sin's such a big deal that God had to send his own son to die. Your sin killed God. My sin killed God. That's huge but he was sent in order to redeem you and redeem me in spite of our sin. Mijo, Menaka, this is my son. Say hi, Jake. (laughs) This is my oldest son, Jacob. For some of you, a few weeks ago, I told you. I told you about him, and I, I love, love this kid. He has been a blessing to me since the moment he drew breath. And I would risk everything for him. 
If it was my life over his, I would give it, don't you think? Jake? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> good call. And if you came into my house, or if you tried to hurt my son, I would give every last breath to protect him. I love him. I care. So when we read words about giving your son, I don't take that lightly. And I pray that some of you one day will be great. I know so many of you will be great moms and great dads and are already great brothers and great sisters and have this. But I don't take this lightly because I would fend off all of you. Now, that's not a challenge. Because these white boys can run, amen? High five. What's up? Okay. But I love this kid, and I would risk everything for him. And I believe that God, it wasn't just a decision, oh, yeah, send Jesus. They knew. He knew that his creation would destroy him. He knew that that was the only way. Thanks, buddy. High five. <laughs> He's a little intense. I blame his mom. Okay. Here we go. Verse 38, it says, when the tenant saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, this, okay, so that's the end of the story. And here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore, and whenever you see therefore, you ask, what's the therefore, therefore? It's not a joke. It's just, I mean, biblical interpretation number one. It says, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think would happen? I mean, what do you think? If you were the owner of this business and somebody came in and slaughtered your employees and you had power and wealth, you got to remember, this guy had power. I mean, he owned a lot of land. He could just build something and move on. He had power and influence. And this is what the teachers say, the religious. He says, 41, he says, he would bring an end to those wretches, to a wretched end. They replied, and he would rent that vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to him, have you never read the scriptures? Now, let me, I want you to get that. Jesus is kind of being insulted because these guys completely knew the scriptures. If you get really bored and can't sleep some night, you need to like Google or YouTube like 13-year-old Jewish boys that have memorized parts of the Bible. And you will see some of these kids, they're 13, who have memorized like the whole book of Genesis in Hebrew. Okay? I couldn't even do the Fresh Prince song without adding a few blah, 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 blah in a Bel Air. You know, like these have word for word. So these guys knew the scripture. They knew everything about it. And Jesus is like, wait a second. Did you, what you read, have you even understand it? Like here's the whole thing. Like I love the church. It is the bride of Christ. You can't not love the bride, and say you love the husband. Like, no one would come up to me and my wife of 13 years and say, man, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. Well, guess what? We got a problem, boy. You right? You know what I'm saying? So I love, love the church. But here, here's what happens sometimes, is we get so caught up in things that we miss really what the Bible says. I mean, what's the first thing, if you've ever been to a Christian wedding out of 1 Corinthians, it says, love is patient, love is kind. I can't even get past the patient part. You know what I'm saying? God is love above everything else. It says that you may, you may be able to speak, you may be able to sing, you may be able to do everything. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. The ultimate, and it's hard. It's easy to love people you like. 
It's hard to be tolerant of people you don't. I mean, the definition of tolerance is looking at somebody that you can't stand what they're saying and saying, I still love you. It's not just absolutely expecting it. But here he's saying, listen, have you missed everything you've read? And here's the choice. Guess what? Some of us today, we may be sitting there saying, I've missed some of this stuff. I've missed really what the gospel is about. And he's about to go into it. And he says, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. Dun, dun, dun. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid that the crowd, because the prophet, the people held that he was a prophet. Here's my last point, is that this, and listen, I'm here for your holiness more than your happiness. I'm glad that you guys come here. We love having you here. We want to be a place that's, that has love, but let me tell you this. One of the things that we forget is that ultimately, that God will reject some of us. Even some of us that plan, I mean, Matthew talks about it early that says, hey, you know what? I love Jesus. I'm part of Jesus is what I'm going to do. I've been to church. I've been to 16 camps. I know songs. I played in the plays band. I did all this stuff. And he says, listen, if you don't have love, you have nothing. And some of us forget. We think that Jesus is like Santa Claus. He'll take anybody. Okay? Anybody who's ever been to the mall with little tiny kids, I've seen kids crying, screaming, kicking. You know, I saw a kid with a sword one time, and Santa's like, bring them to me. You know, like he'll, Jesus is not Santa Claus. There are some of you in here you don't have a relationship with God, and it's too late at the end of the, at the, when, after you take your last breath. And I'm not trying to scare you, and I'm definitely not trying to talk you into anything. Because if I can talk you in, somebody else can talk you out. But I do believe this, in a room this size, with the, the preaching that we're talking about because of the inspired word of God, there are some of you tonight that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you kind of feel like maybe you'll get in because, well, I've been to church enough, or I kind of, kind of, I'm going to slide in, or maybe I can talk my way into, or like, it's really not that bad. And so here as we close in a minute, here's kind of the issue. All of us can relate to, to one of these three things, and here's the deal. I want you guys to look at me. I'll be done in like two, three minutes max, okay? Here's the deal. Where do you fall into this? Can you put those points up there, please? Where do you fall into this? Because for some of us, you love Jesus. You've had a relationship with your own, but there are some things in your life that you think you own and God doesn't. And let me tell you, we serve a God that wants to be the center of attention, the main event, that wants to be prime time. He, the word jealous, describing God, is all over the scriptures. Anything else besides his glory is a distraction. So there may be something in your world of saying, hey, you know what? I'm really good in this area. I'm not killing people or fighting people or lying to people, but the things that I see on the internet or the lies that I believe about myself... I'm owning those, and I haven't given to God. Because listen, let, let, me, let me just talk to ladies really quick. There's some of you that you look in the mirror and you feel so either disgusted or frustrated. Let me tell you something. You are a beautiful creation by an awesome God. And you don't have to fit in the right jeans or wear the same, exact same shirt or have a wonder bra to be any more liked. Now, I'm not saying you don't take care of yourself. We're not designed to sit on a couch and eat nachos and sweat in sweatpants, because if we do, that'd be awesome. But that's not what we're designed to do. We have a responsibility. There's a difference between ownership and responsibility. We may not own these bodies outright, but we, we have a responsibility to take care of them. But listen, some of you own this stuff, and it's a lie. 
that I have to be beautiful to be important, or that I have to be smart to have value. And I want to tell you, let God own that for you. Relinquish that ownership and say, you know what, I am a child of the risen king, and it don't matter about anything else. Because the more you glorify God, the more he'll speak to you and challenge you and grow you. But then some of you are, you're not, some of you have, have realized that, you know what, I'm great at church, I'm great with all this stuff, God has this stuff, but I'm not really that risky. See, Navy SEALs have this, this saying that the, the most dangerous men are the most risky men. And I think my biggest fear as I get older is that I get comfortable. I mean, the truth of the matter is, like, if you were in an old folks' home, you wouldn't be like, wow, these guys are dangerous. You know? Shuffleboard and Ben Gay does not, like, scream ninjas. But there is this aspect of, are you being dangerous for the kingdom? I'm not talking about being stupid. But let me ask you a question. Is there even any chance of your campus being one for Christ because you're there? Or is this rest of 2012 going to pass by and nothing's going to happen? And some of you, I, I pray as we pray in a moment that you would say, God, help me be risky and dangerous for my school. I'm not saying be crazy. I'm not saying you walk into your cafe with your Bible and say, I'm here to save y'all, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But let me, some of you are going to get an A and AP and never share the gospel with somebody else. Let me tell you, and it was not a conventional way. When I was 15, I got saved. It was a guy from Egypt, okay? His name was Wasim, okay? And he would talk to me about, about the gospel, and I thought he was crazy for a while, and I went, saw him get baptized, and the first time I was in a Baptist church, everybody's saying, amen, amen. I thought it was like a poker game, like, I'm in, I'm in, you know, like, all of this stuff, and I had no idea what it was like, but this guy loved me and challenged me, and even if you asked him today, he would tell you that he viewed his campus as a mission field, that God had laid on his heart a certain amount of people to go share and the love and message of Jesus Christ, both the love and the message. You have love without the message, it's empty. It's Disney, okay? But you have the message without love, you have legalism. And so God has a risky plan. for. Listen, the Bible is full of people that did risky, kind of crazy things for God. It does not make sense sometimes. So maybe you're one of these guys that say, God, I'm ready to risk everything. So what? People are going to make fun of you. You're in high school. People are going to make fun of you no matter what, right? Is there anybody in this room who's never had anybody make fun of them? You know what I mean? It's part of it. And if not, they just do it behind your back. Sorry. Right? I mean, because we live, I mean, you guys live in a day and age that like, you know, sometimes it's like your best friends you got to worry about cheating with your boyfriend. Happens. Okay? Anyways, I don't know much about dating boys. Okay? But I did sleep at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So like all of that. So finally, here's the last one. Some of you need, some of you have missed out and you just need the gospel. You just need the gospel. You need to know that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is your only hope for salvation. And I pray, as I've been praying all week, that God, that us as, as sinners, as totally depraved sinners of God that need a Savior, would collide with the Holy God. Let's do this. Go ahead and put your Bibles down. Bow your head and close your eyes real quick. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we are done. Okay? Dear God, I, I thank you for the great opportunity that you've given me to share 
Your gospel, Father, I am unworthy. I am sometimes just like some of those tenants, not the ones that kill, but just sit back idly and watch the world happen. And God, I pray tonight as we just close in this with every head bowed and every eye closed, Father, you would just speak truth for that some of this would resonate with these people, Father, with these students. That first of all, that there are some of us that love God and we love who he is and we know he's our savior. We know we have a relationship with him. But there are some aspect in our world that we think we own and we don't want to give it up, that it's ours. And I pray, Father, just wherever they're at, God, whatever it is, whether it's what they watch on TV, whether it's that secret relationship that nobody else knows about, whether it's pornography or taking too many or doubling up on their prescription drugs, whether it's about lying to their parents, Father, whether it's this, this fact of, of believing the lie that they have to be beautiful or sexy or smart in order to be loved. Father, would we just give that to you? Would we just, Father, some, I know that there are some with depression and anxiety, and in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would cast out those demons and let them breathe the Holy Spirit into their lives to breathe, to believe that, Father, that you are enough and that you hold them in their palm in your hands. And Father, for some other ones, I pray, Father, that there are some of them that are ready and they are ready to risk everything. They want to step out when the master calls and says, I want to go and I want to see my school or see my family come to Christ. And I pray that you would give them a vision bigger than what they can think of, God to see hundreds and thousands of souls. Father, I am thankful for the hundreds that are here tonight, but I am burdened for the thousands that won't even consider coming. And some of those, Father, just need an invite. Some of them just need a text from some of these people, will you come next week with me? Father, would you challenge and have them be risky and dangerous for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then finally, for those, Father, who need Jesus, Father, I beg and plead that you would save some tonight. Father, I pray that you would speak truth into their lives, that they would know you and love you. And Father, I pray that you would challenge us as 12 Stone to be great people of love. Father, that it would even seem ridiculous to the world of how much love we have for people. And God, there are people tonight that are standing and, and they're fearful and they're scared and they want to make this bold crossing over to trusting you. And God, would you give them boldness and courage and strength in order to follow and trust you, Jesus. We love you and we praise you in the precious name of Christ. Amen.